If we can just see one another beautiful, and if we can look in the mirror and see ourselves beautiful, it's the cornerstone of transformation because it creates connection. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. On today's episode, our guest is Catherine Celery. She is a three-time TEDx speaker who has taught thousands of parents in conscious parenting revolution and executives on conscious communication for over 16 years. Her message is, nobody teaches us how to manage our minds. We have got to get upstream. We're going to talk with Catherine about meditation and mindfulness and, of course, psychological safety and conscious parenting. And you can learn more about Catherine at ConsciousParentingRevolution.com. Okay, let's get the conversation started. The mental health download starts now. Okay, Catherine, I really want to talk to you about meditation because it's definitely changed my life and has definitely been helpful during this time of COVID. And in 2019, I know your vision was to create a national mental health and mental fitness summit. And that was supported by the International Association for Human Values. And that culminated in the largest ever group meditation in the United States when more than 7,000 people meditated together. That's amazing. So during this time of COVID, I think really along with breaking down the stigma of mental health, society has also taken a quantum leap as far as breaking down the stigma of meditating. People, I think, have come to meditation in ways that they never have before. And the media has done a really remarkable job of destigmatizing it. And so I would love to hear what you think will change in our society once hopefully someday this COVID era is over and we can return to normalcy. So do you think people will continue to embrace meditation or will they lose interest once our society returns to normal? Yeah, you know, it's so um, interesting that COVID has um, created space in people's lives in many cases for new practices and managing our mind. <laughs> I think we all know that's a full-time job. And in the practice of meditation is really, you know, core to managing people's minds. And so as a practitioner myself and a teacher of meditation, the gap between our educational system, which faces, you know, so many different challenges to prepare people for life, and it seems to focus a lot on competencies. So, you know, core, core curriculum competencies, which obviously are extremely important. I guess in our evolution in education and the pandemic, if you want to call it, of adolescent anxiety, depression, suicide, what we're learning more and more is that as core to our curriculum as these like core subject matters are, also core is managing the mind. And that no matter how capable someone is at a particular like discipline, if they aren't managing their mind and living in the present moment and allowing the tendency of the mind to live in the past or the future, which stirs up the anxiety, the depression, or the fear, all of these emotional states have to do with where is your mind resting right now, right now, right now, right now. And there's nothing that allows that cultivation within oneself more than meditation as a practice to bring the mind into the present moment. And that's what I see as the great gift of meditation is we begin to be the observer of the mind. 
And we begin to have the capacity to be able to see, oh, there's my mind drifting into the past. There's my mind, you know, ruminating over something I wish I'd done differently, which is cultivating within me all of this feeling of upset. And when we recognize that it is really about what we're doing with the mind. And if we've merged with it, or if we've been the observer of it, then, you know, the practice is going to go way beyond just the COVID moment. COVID will have just created space in people's lives and maybe a sense of urgency because there is so much more anxiety around, you know, what's going to happen? Will I have my job or will I get back to school? I mean, questions that, you know, may have just not even been in the picture pre-COVID, have become very like big things in people's lives. And they're extremely difficult to manage. And I believe that this practice gives people the tools to manage their mind. Okay. So when you search for meditation online, you are just inundated with resources. Uh, It can be overwhelming. So Catherine, where do you direct people to learn more about meditation? Everybody's going to have their preference. My my preference has been the art of living, which is where I became a certified meditation teacher. And with their practices and the training in being firmly rooted in the self and, you know, being rooted in the self allows me on a daily basis through the practice. And this is what I want to say about meditation is that it's a daily thing and you do it every day and it's a practice. It's not like you just do it once and check the box. I mean, going deeper and deeper into the self requires that we create the stillness internally. And we set that up in our lives by really building in the habit of whenever it's right for you. The main point is simply to build the time to be still and to create the space internally to be able to be centered. And I love the art of living. The practice there is my preference, but I I think people can go to all kinds of different insight timer, sattva, art of living. There's a breathing component to it as well. People's nervous systems tend to be so dysregulated or so wound tightly that it seems really hard to just sit down and center the mind because the body and the nervous system are so wound up. So learning the different breathing practices, the pranayamas, as a way to almost prepare yourself to be able to drop into meditation, I think makes all the difference. So like we talked about in the media and social media and just friends and family, everybody's uh, (laughs) telling each other, meditate, meditate, meditate. Still, you know, it's like, at least for me, it's a lot like hearing people tell me exercise, exercise, eat healthy, eat healthy. Uh, You know, we all know these things are beneficial. So what are those ways that we can break down those barriers to meditating on a regular basis? Yeah, to actually create the space for it. You know, I love 40-day challenges. And, you know, when you set yourself up with a 40-day challenge and you just literally schedule it, you put it into your daytime or like you do, you know, a meeting or, a, you know, a conference call or whatever, it's like in your daytimer and you, you do it. I also think bite-sized pieces. So A, you schedule it and B, you do what you know you can do. So if you know you can't sit for more than five minutes, then you just schedule that five minutes. And then the next day you schedule six and you build up to it. And you also feel the satisfaction of, oh, wow, you know, I was able to do that. I feel really good about the fact that I met my commitment to myself. And I start where I am as opposed to some ridiculous like idea of I have to sit for an hour. 
Like, you know, a lot of people would be like, you got to be kidding. That is never going to happen. So that's right. Don't just plan five minutes or whatever you can, the bite size that you can take and schedule it. When we do the breathing, we actually reset our nervous system. It really is taking just that breathe in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, breathe out, two, three, four, hold. And you just start a pattern like that. That might be something or a starting place for someone is to just do that breathing pattern. And then if you were, if I were teaching you, I would actually be placing your hands in different places because it opens up different lobes of the lungs. And as you open up different lobes of the lungs, you're actually creating more breath and oxygenating your entire system. So it's amazing what just oxygen will do for the brain and how you're beginning to feel and just having more oxygen in your system because we've forgotten how to breathe. It's as simple as that. All right. So thank you for sharing so much about meditation. I really appreciate that. And that's very helpful for me. Um, and one of the other topics that you are an expert in is psychological safety and families. So I'm curious, especially now when domestic violence has increased during this COVID era and we're all just, you know, we're around our families a lot more and they can certainly irritate us. <laughs> we can irritate them. So can you talk about where meditation fits into psychological safety in families? Well, when people are drowning, emotionally drowning in their pain, I, I don't know anybody who drowns politely. So when people are drowning, all drowning behaviors really are socially unacceptable. A shift in perception around this is a drowning person as opposed to that is unacceptable. You can't speak to me that way that is unacceptable. We don't say things in that voice. We don't raise our voice in this family. You know, da, 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 da. Yes, I agree. It would be great if we could coach people when they're in so much pain to drown politely because it would make us and our experience of them so much better. (laughs) So for sure, I totally am like, yeah, let's get everybody drowning politely. However, it's unrealistic. So another way to approach it is, oh my gosh, this is a person who is just in so much pain and they're falling apart in ways that are, you know, just showing me how hurt they are inside. And it's the externalization of that, right? The manifestation of the unmet need, the tragic expression of the unmet need. Just that shift in perception can help us. And what allows us to help kind of change our mind around something is, you know, I would like to say, just take a breath. Mm-hmm right? Just taking that breath is creating more space inside me to be able to break out of like the jackals. You know, Marshall Rosenberg was one of my heroes and he was the founder of the Center for Nonviolent Communication. And he used to speak about jackal and giraffe consciousness. And the jackal looks at behaviors and and judges them as, you know, good, bad, right, wrong. And we get stuck in our mind around how we are judging this person. And he said, if you put on your giraffe ears, then you can see past the behaviors to the underlying pain that someone's in. And he said, never listen to the words people say, because people who are drowning say all kinds of stuff. And if you want to get stuck on the words that they say, then you'll end up in this whole cycle around, you know, defending and I am not and all this sort of thing that just deteriorates. So how do we break the cycle? We literally take a breath and we step back and we become the observer. And these are all the things that we really deepen our capacity to do in meditation. So, you know, a meditative state isn't just when my eyes are closed. 
It's also when my eyes are open and it's being present. You know, we talk about presence. Well, what does that mean, really? Presence is not reactivity, reacting, 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 or overreacting. Presence is being with and my ability to be with what I'm feeling, not thinking that's who I am, not losing my sense of identity in my emotions, not losing my sense of identity in the thoughts or jackals that I have, but being present to them. Wow. You know, something in me, those are the key words. Something in me is really having trouble listening to this. I'm going to be with that part of me that's struggling. That's the self-compassion and the self-empathy part. I'm going to be with that. I'm going to give myself the oxygen I need. I'm going to take the breath I need so that I can be present to this person who is obviously falling apart in the most socially unacceptable ways. I like to say our children deserve our compassion the most when they appear to deserve it the least. (laughs) Right. Yeah, everybody does. So when they appear to deserve it the least is when they need it the most. It's when I can shift my perception around that's unacceptable behavior to, oh my goodness, yes, of course it's unacceptable. And that's not really the point here. The point here is you're falling apart. And I'm going to give myself some oxygen so I can see this as falling apart behavior. And after I've given myself the oxygen, then I can give some to you. Exactly. And after you've been able to regulate your emotions and you've been able to calm down, I already know you're going to regret what you said to me. So I don't need to shame or blame or make you feel bad about that because most people already start self-flagellating long before I do. That was beautifully explained. So before we go, I want to tell you that Mental Health Association Oklahoma, we are presenting the Zero Mental Health Symposium virtually this year. It's September 30th through October 2nd. And our theme is healing from historical trauma. So what does healing from historical trauma mean to you? Yeah. Wow. That's so great. You know, I did, I've done a few TED Talks. One of my TED Talks was on unconscious, surviving unconscious parenting. And, and so that's when you say that, that's the first thing I think about is it really is this transgenerational or historical, you know, passed down through the generations. I used to look at it as I've been under a spell, but I didn't know I was. And until you begin to wake up from the spell that was cast, you don't recognize that this is just a pattern that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. It's a dysfunctional communication pattern. It's a dysfunctional pattern in terms of relating to how I relate to my feeling world, for example. And you know, if you grow up in a family where you're being blamed for how other people feel as if you caused it, then there's it's it's enough to just rip you apart. Like it's an impossible, it's like a, it's like setting up an equation that's impossible to solve. We are, of course, all accountable for our feelings and needs and meeting them. And when people have duped you into believing that you're responsible for their feelings and needs as if you caused it. Like the whole thing is crazy making, right? And we will slip into the world of, you know, dysfunctional family patterns and codependence and all the rest of it. I would say my own recovery from transgenerational trauma was truly connecting to a spiritual path that included the practices that allowed me to develop self in presence and be connected to my inner world in relationship to the outer world and the outer voices in the world who would be communicating in ways that up until then I couldn't manage. It gave me the foundation to be able to 
start to see things in a proper perspective. It's been core. It's been absolutely core. You know, for me, it was like starting with A Course in Miracles and beginning to see what, you know, what is called illusion versus truth, beginning to see that a lot of the illusions were made out to be as the reality rather than, oh my goodness gracious, that's not the truth. That's just way off base. And it was helpful to begin that journey of seeing what is real and what isn't. You know, the lies that we live by, oh my goodness gracious, there's just so so many. They're everywhere. So how do we use practice to be able to stay centered in the midst of the crazy is, I think it's the cornerstone to being able to stay centered and healthy when surrounded in a family system where there's so much trauma that those around us are not healthy and we love them deeply. And the love is really difficult because it's so dysfunctional. And I don't know. I mean, for me, how do we find our own boundaries? You know, words like this that I'm really careful to use, but just the safety that we need to have can sometimes come by creating space outside of ourselves and space inside of ourselves. And a practice like meditation gives us the ground to stand on, to stay connected to ourselves so that we're not in reactivity to all of the stuff around us. Because we can't change anybody else. We all know that. They change themselves or, or they don't change. <laughs> but it's not going to be me changing anyone. And so I really have to just be centered within me so that I can be present to myself and support what's going on within my own being. And this, this language, something in me is feeling, a part of me is, these are ways to actually have self-dialogue self where it supports not being merged with the high emotion. It supports recognizing there's something there and being with it. And it's been waiting for me for a really long time. So these are sort of part of the practice of being an observer that we learn through meditation. So Catherine, it's been an honor and a thrill to get to talk with you. Thank you so much. Before we go, I want to tell people how they can learn more about what you do, your website, your social media, anything you want to tell them about. Great. Yeah. ConsciousParentingRevolution.com is my website. And if you go to the website, I have a, a opt-in free book that really is strategies. And I discuss some of the stuff that we talked about on the podcast. I also do a little bit more in terms of attachment and understanding a little bit of the safety around attachment and how that could or could not have been present in your growing up. And as a result, you know, talk about transgenerational, it may be something that you are not necessarily equipped to do well with your own child rearing. The conscious parenting revolution is to be able to recognize that children are people too. And when they drown, they don't do it politely. And how, how can we be in relationship to that as well as recognizing that we have unwittingly activated a lot of the outbursts. Thomas Gordon was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize three times by recognizing that parents activate retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. He called it the three R's. And Dr. Louise Porter in her research in Children Are People Too discovered that three out of four of the disruptions that we spend time managing were created by our controlling form of discipline. So this is a really big package that I just touch on because 
it's so relevant that we don't know sometimes the way I'm dealing with conflict in my family is actually activating most of the conflict in the family. And the primary issues are completely lost as we're completely overwhelmed by the secondary issues that were created by the way I dealt with the primary issues. So the conscious parenting revolution is just really supporting parents to become equipped and even to understand your own experience as the child being parented. And I put out blogs every week, so they're on the website. The book is there for people to download. I run courses and all of it, you know, all of it is to support all of us in their journey uh, down this road of inner relationships and how we show up and how we relate to our own internal world with regard to merging with high emotion or the thoughts that we're thinking, thinking they're real when it's just one perspective and um, how to be with all of it. Beautiful. All right. And then at the end of every one of our podcasts, we ask our guests to share a bit of wisdom with us. So if you could share that bit of wisdom, we'll be done. So Catherine, take it away. Yeah, I, I love this beautiful poem. It's See Me Beautiful. And I love to close my own workshops with it because if we can just see one another beautiful and if we can look in the mirror and see ourselves beautiful, it's the cornerstone of transformation because it creates connection. It creates connection with the other and it creates connection within. So I hope today everybody just looks in the mirror, sees themselves beautiful and sees the people in their world beautiful, no matter how tragic the expressions of their unmet needs may be.